And again, take your Bibles and turn this time to Matthew chapter 1. And we'll look at verses 18 through 25 this morning. Though I refer to verse 21 quite often because of its great significance, uh, I haven't preached from this passage for several years now, and this is one of those times of the year when it's on people's minds. We use it a lot in lessons and carols and in our daily readings around this time of the year. You hear it read uh, in various contexts on radio and such, and so it's good to look at it more closely than in just a casual reading. Follow along. God's inerrant, infallible word as I read it aloud. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever and forever. I hope you believe that. It's the only truth for life and salvation. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful morning. And as we now look to hear from you, may your spirit speak to us clearly because we are dull in our senses. Give us ears to hear that we might not leave this place as we came, but that we might leave more like Christ, trusting him, loving him, obeying him. And we ask this in the matchless name of that one who is Savior of sinners, Jesus Christ. Amen. We see the title of the sermon, The Savior of Christmas. Now, you could take that in a couple of ways, couldn't you? You could take it that Jesus is the one who saves us from Christmas in its modern sense. Or you could take it as the one who is the subject of Christmas. He's the one Christmas is all about. And uh, in the case today, you'd be right. Pick one, anyone. Because we're going to basically make it about both. This is about Jesus saving us from Christmas. 
and all the stuff around it in its modern conception, but it's, it's more a sermon about Christ, the one who Christmas is all about. So if you're sitting there pondering that title, there you go. You can stop pondering the title and know what, what we're going to be doing here for a little bit. It's, uh, it's my intention, as I said, to consider both of these. Jesus is the one Christmas is all about, and Jesus is the one that will keep us out of the Christmas traps. And in doing that, Jesus will keep us from all the cynicism. I said this at the Lessons and Carols Friday night, but for the benefit of those who weren't here, some of you weren't, <clears throat> had a conversation last week with a man who is basically, he's a, a professing believer at least, uh, and he's basically a cynic about Christmas. Oh, well, it's all about, you know, the tinsel and the lights and the, and the, and the gifts and all that stuff. I don't like it. Don't play me those Christmas songs. Okay. Well, if you don't have this two-prong approach to Christmas that is in the title of the sermon, the Savior of Christmas, that's what you'll end up being. You'll just end up being a cynic. You'll end up being pest, a pessimist. Someone who's negative about everything, not just about Christmas. Now, there's probably not a Christian, not, not a person in this room who professes faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who's lived their life for Christ any length of time, who hasn't struggled with that, particularly around Christmas time, right? Just growing kind of, you know, they've ruined it. Yeah, the problem's always they, right? They've ruined it. You know, they've taken Jesus out of it. I was, uh, I won't say who, but someone mentioned that they had heard R.C. Sproul. Well, not from the dead. He's with the Lord now. But they'd heard a past broad, broadcast of Dr. Sproul's. And, and he had addressed the whole Xmas issue. And how he had explained in, in his little lesson that uh, that's not trying to take Christ out. That's not the origin of that, but uh, X is the key. It's the first letter in the word Christ in the Greek. And so it's just an abbreviation. At least for Christians, it's just an abbreviation. It's not meant to take Christ out. It's meant to just abbreviate. And if you were to look at my, my outline notes here, you'd find Xmas all over the place. And don't think, I don't think you can think by the time I finish that Christ is missing from this sermon. Um, but we've probably all been there too, where we felt like, well, they really have taken Christ out of this. But what do you expect from the world? I mean, the world didn't put Christ in its start with. So you wouldn't expect them to really make anything about Christ, whether it's Christmas or Easter or Thanksgiving or your birthday or Fourth of July or you name it. You know, Christians see Christ in everything, or at least we should, right? Right? 
Well, what I want to do is try to save us from being cynical and being negative and even uh, lacking, lacking. Uh, in fun- yeah, I mentioned Sproul. I'll just say this. You know, one of the things that people talked about uh, R.C. Uh, was how much he enjoyed life. And if you watched him on his videos, uh, if you're ever around him in, in person, like I had the privilege of being on, on a few occasions, uh, that was the thing you just recognized immediately was that he was just full of joy. Well, he should be. He had a great life. You know, people bought buildings and told him to go use them. And R.C. Sproul had a hard life. Family problems. Children. Issues like people have. But that didn't take the joy of Christ out of him. I mean, he was a horrible golfer. But he still played and still enjoyed it. He said it was sanctifying for him to go out there and have to learn those lessons. Uh, the reason I bring that up is that yeah, that's where we need to be. And you can take doctrine seriously and still be joyful. And by the way, if you... If you take doctrine seriously and you're not joyful, you sit with glum looks on your face, then you're not getting the doctrine. It's not in here. It's just up here. So maybe by the time we leave today, some of what's up here will get down here and we can all enjoy what's left of the Christmas cheer. I do want us to to go out into this world of mixed and false messages, and there are all kind of those, right? No denying that. But to go out in this world with right thoughts, not with indifference. I want us to go out enthusiastic, not cynical. I want us to go out with a, uh, a victorious zeal. You know, Reformed folks have, a, have, a, have an eschatology that is, is optimistic, not pessimistic. You say, really? Yeah, and if you don't got that... I'm, you, you should have sat through the Wednesday night series on the book of Revelation with me some time back. We have much to be thankful for now and much to be thankful for in the life to come. It's going to get better, not worse. And if your eschatology is not there, then you got the wrong one. So hopefully today even, your eschatology will be fixed a little bit. Because we need to remember a verse that I memorized a long time ago. And I memorized it in the, I caught myself earlier. Uh, you know, the, the ESV, uh, I, 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 I quoted John 3.16. And so that was from some previous memory of the New American Standard, I'm pretty sure. But what we have printed in the order of service is the English Standard Version. And so it's the everlasting eternal difference. And so some of you may have caught me on that. If so, just know I know. 
he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. We don't need to ever lose sight of that. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. So the first thing I want us to do to get to that is this. Focus on the supernatural conception. Focus on the supernatural. We live in a naturalistic world, right? We do. I mean, we live in a material world. We, we can touch things and we can feel things. We can smell things. We can see things. Everything's material. And if you're not careful, we can just end up with a faith that's natural and material. Instead of a faith that's, that's based on the supernatural. It's a big deal, y'all. We don't see Satan behind every tree in our tradition. We know better than that. Jesus Christ conquered Satan. He crushed him on the cross and in the resurrection. Had another conversation. It's amazing the conversations you have out in public places with people who have bad theology or no theology or Christ or no Christ. He was saying that his sister had rebuked him for rebuking Satan. I said, well, good for her for rebuking you, for rebuking Satan. He said, what? I said, Satan's defeated. He's got no power over you. I said, I heard you in here one day quoting to someone, he that is in you is greater than he who is in the world, and you don't believe it. There have been a lot of popular books, you know, written and, and they got Satan, you know, behind every tree and bush. He's not. He's a conquered foe. He's a chained lion. Roaring, yeah, but he's chained. Waiting for that final day when Christ will consign him to his eternal doom. And yet. The war we wage in this world is not with flesh and blood, right? It's a spiritual war, we're told in Zechariah. John tells us that. The world, the flesh, the devil. So the, the war that we wage is not a, not a materialistic, naturalistic, although those things contribute to the war, but it's ultimately a supernatural, cosmic war that we're engaged in. And that's why we have to have a supernatural perspective on everything. And while Satan's not behind every tree, our God is everywhere. Satan's not ubiquitous. He's not omnipresent, but our God is. And aren't you glad? Focus on the supernatural. That's what brought Joseph out of this thing. You notice, starts. Joseph has found out that Mary is pregnant. And they are in this, they are in this marital contract, this engagement that is 
has bound them to marry one another. But there is a, here's a, there's a, there's a get out clause. If you find that the spouse has been unfaithful, then you can divorce them. You can go back to Exodus and read about this. So he's going to do that. He doesn't want to embarrass her. He doesn't want to put her to shame. So he just decides we'll just go to the JP and we'll, we'll do this thing quietly. And then she can go off somewhere and have the baby and nobody will have to know and nobody will have to embarrass her and she won't have to have to be ashamed like unwed mothers should be ashamed. Because that's not the way God designed it. It's contrary to God. Well, you know what happens. I just read it. But as he considered these things, behold, children of covenant. What does that mean? Behold, sit up, pay attention. What is important is getting really important now. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This supernatural thing going on here, Joseph. She hasn't sinned. She's not committed fornication. She's not had sex before marriage. This is a supernatural thing that's taken place. It's from the Holy Spirit. Say, boy, I wonder how Joseph, how did he respond to this? Well, we know how he responded. We're told right down there. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel commanded him. He took his wife, but he didn't know her. That means had no sexual relations with her until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. He believed it. See, Joseph's thinking on the front end was naturalistic. But after God has this, gives him this revelation, and by the way, we've got 66 books of that revelation right here. So don't say, well, if God just spoke to me like he did to Joseph, he does. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, he speaks to us. Do you know you and I have more God talking to us than Joseph did. Because the New Testament hasn't been written at the point of this supernatural revelation. So don't get in this trap of, well, if, he, if God would just speak to me. He does. It's right here. Open the book and see what he says. So he spoke to Joseph. Joseph, this is of the Holy Spirit. In other words, this is a supernatural conception. This not, you're not going to figure this one out, Joseph, but it had nothing to do with her sinning. had nothing to do with her having premarital sex. It had nothing to do with, with that sort of law-breaking infidelity. It's all about me. I'm doing something special. 
And that's where we have to live. Over and over being reminded that God is doing something special. God's doing. He's always at work. God's never idle. It's hard for us to grasp that, isn't it? It is for me. But he is. We don't always see it. Why? Because God is spirit. doesn't have a body like man. Children's catechism, right, children? Nevertheless, he is. He's active. He's engaged. He is never silent. He is never, never, ever in a, in a mode of doing nothing. We live in a supernatural world. We live in the midst of a cosmic warfare, but we live in a world where our God is doing for his people. That's the first thing. If you want to stay out of cynicism and indifference and pessimism, keep in mind, he's doing. He's at work. He's doing things. He's doing things for his church, first and foremost. We were just hearing again, uh, when was it, uh, Bradley? Friday night, John Blevins, we'll get a, we'll, you'll get an update on this soon. Uh, end of the year, churches that are supporting us in the mission plant that we weren't expecting. Some who are supporting said this is going to be a one-time thing. Here it is. And we got another one. Got another gift, another church, several more churches. God just keeps doing. He keeps doing for us here at Covenant. And we're looking forward to seeing what he keeps doing. He's a God who's at work always. Second, not just keep focused on the supernatural, but we need to revel in the Trinity the Trinity is all over this passage. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'll be brief on this. Notice what it says. Uh, who is it that's speaking here? Well, it's the angel of the Lord comes. Uh, Joseph is considering these things, and uh, and 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 this, and we're told that 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 the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. I'm going to tell you, we're all over the place on this one because in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is often the Lord Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate appearances. Uh, some scholars think that's who, who the angel of the Lord is here speaking about himself being incarnate. Uh, but it really doesn't matter. That doesn't that doesn't keep this from being Trinitarian or not Trinitarian because we go on down and the Holy Spirit says it's going to be conceived from the Holy Spirit. Well, there's the Spirit. That, the Holy Spirit's the obvious person in this one, right? And again, uh, or before that even, before we get to the angel, uh, Matthew has already said that before uh, she's found to be with child from the Holy Spirit.
and it says she will bear a son. And that son is then, we're told who that son will be in verse 23. You'll call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So the son is God, God the son, the son of God. So there's the second person of the Godhead. So we've seen the third person, the Holy Spirit. We've seen the second person, the Son of God. You say, well, where's the Father in this? Well, he's in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Now you look at those two quotations. One comes from chapter 7, verse 14, and the other comes from chapter 8 of Isaiah, verse 8 and verse 10. And who's speaking there? Jehovah. And we take Jehovah, the Lord, when not distinguished or not designated as the Son or the Spirit to be the Father. So you got the Father, Son, Holy Spirit all spoken of here, referenced in this passage, all active, all involved, and all important. This is not something to take for granted. It's not something to take lightly. Now, here's, here's the Athanasian statement on the Trinity. I, I promised this earlier, so let me get to that. The Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit, But Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, and the Holy Spirit uncreated. The Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, and the Holy Spirit incomprehensible. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal, and yet... They are not three eternals, but one eternal. As also there are not three incomprehensibles, nor three uncreated, but one uncreated and one incomprehensible. So likewise the Father is almighty, the Son almighty, the Holy Spirit almighty, and yet they are not three almighties, but one almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. That's good. That's what the Bible teaches. And that's what we see right here. The three is one. Emmanuel, God with us. Three. After we focus on the supernatural and we revel, revel has a continuing sense in the Trinity, never lose sight of the Trinity, give thanks for his salvation. And that's where this passage goes. That's exactly where the angel of the Lord takes them. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people. Focus on the he there. Who's the he? Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ. You'll call his name Jesus, which means Savior. We find that name coming in from the Old Testament, Joshua. Right? The Savior. God's Savior. What's he saving us from? He's saving us from the world, the flesh, and the devil. He's saving us from sin. 
He goes on and says, she'll, she'll bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, and here's the reason you'll call him Jesus, for he will save his people. He'll save them. What does save mean? It means deliver them, take them out of the situation they're in. We've got the Exodus in the Old Testament picturing this beautifully for us. They're in bondage to the Egyptians and they're brought out. They're delivered from that which they could not deliver themselves. They had tried. They couldn't. Go back and read the account of the Exodus. One of the things that the Lord tells the children as they prepare to come out is you go to your owner, your masters, those who are, who are running your life, those who are dictating your life, and say, we're leaving this place and we're taking with us all your precious stuff. And God so arranged that whole thing so that by the time they were leaving, the Egyptians wanted them gone so badly, they gave them everything they wanted. They didn't just, they weren't just delivered from their bondage, but they were given plenty. That's the reason it's called eternal life. That's the reason Jesus says you'll have life and you'll have life abundant. It's the reason we saw Friday night in Galatians 4. That he came, Jesus came under the law to save us that we might become sons of God. And we saw back in Romans chapter 8 that as sons of God, we are what? We are heirs of God and we are fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. And what's Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ owns everything. God the Father has given everything to the Son. We're heirs of that. That was pictured in the Exodus. We've been delivered from the bondage, but we've also been given all that we need in Christ Jesus. But notice the focus here. He'll save his people. He'll deliver them from the bondage, from their sins. And it doesn't come across in English. English is just not a very good language for really giving good details. Not like the Greek. It's out of your sins. So not just from the penalty of sin. Yeah, it's true. When you're in Christ Jesus, when God saves us, when he puts us in Christ, when he unites us to Christ through faith, it is true that we don't have to fear the penalty of sin. There will be no judgment for us. And that's a great truth. And that's primary. But there's more to it. And here's where the, the Greek comes in so wonderfully and so clearly. He will save his people out of the power of their sins. Out of the penalty and out of the power. We're no longer under the power. We sing about that. No more let tyranny rule. Right? We've sang that in different Christmas hymns this month. More than one addresses that. That we're, our, we're delivered from the tyranny of sin. Not just the penalty, but the tyranny of sin. 
We don't have to sin. You say, but I do. Yeah, it's because you want to. And that should make us all sick. That should make us all just, frankly, put out with one another. That we want to sin. That we choose to sin when we don't have to. The power of sin has been conquered. Anyone who boasts in, well, I still sin, you need to repent. You don't need to be proud of that. You need to be, you need to be ashamed of that. Because he's given us the power over sin. And that power is at work in us. Greater is he that is in us than he who is in the, in the world. And who is it that's in us? The Holy Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of Christ. Ultimately, he saves us from the presence of sin. But that's on that last great day. There'll be no more tears, no more death. The presence of sin will be gone. He saves us. He, as you see from that, he saves us completely. So, stay focused on the supernatural. Revel in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and all the wonderful work that he is doing presently for us. And then ponder often what he's done for us, saving us from our sins, the penalty of sin, no hell to face, the power of sin. We don't have to sin. And one of these days, free from the presence of sin. You know, as you get older, and it's hard for you young, younger folks to... to grasp this but as you get older and we talk about this quite a bit in the pastor's class you don't have to be old to be in there but but you can be but there are a number of older folks older saints of this congregation who come to the pastor's class and, and this comes up often how that we all look forward to being free from the presence of sin how much the junk on television makes us sick. How much the, the flagrant sin of the world around us, out on the streets and in the stores, make us sick. And how we look forward to not being in the presence of sin. The Lord's doing, doing all that for us. And here's... Here's what he asked. Trust me. Trust me. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. Believe me. So the question is, do you? If you trust him today, you can leave re-energized, or energized for the first time. You can leave reinvigorated or invigorated for the first time. And you can leave with confidence 
that indeed this world is not, not our problem. We don't have to live just thinking about our problems. We can live thinking about our great Savior and looking past all the things around us to the things that are already ours and the things that are going to be ours. Then, then we can be some good for the people around us. When we become so heavenly minded, we'll be some earthly good then. That'd be a great way to enter the new year, wouldn't it? Father, thank you for this morning. We ask now that you bless the feeble efforts of your servant, that you would, uh, would cause us all to grow in grace. And for those, Father, who may be here and not believing, I don't know. No one knows the heart of man but you. But would you please open their heart and give them faith that they might believe in this Jesus who was born of a virgin supernaturally, who suffered and bled and died to save his people from their sins so that none of us have to live in fear of the penalty of sin or in the power of sin. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.